Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations with Z and Vin. Z, you came up with this really cool title for today's discussion, Holistic Fatalism, which sounds very mystic and a little bit complicated. The idea, though, is pretty straightforward, and it's an idea of letting go of the need to control, letting go of the need for particular results. So much of what we spend our energy on is trying to impose our will on the world. And you brought up examples from your own life, how a lot of the stresses that you face come from people that you work with. And you see them, you know they could be healthier, you know that they could make certain changes to their habits, their lifestyle, their diet, their exercise routine. They could be a lot better off. Maybe they could live longer. Maybe they could be more present for their family. But for whatever reason, they're not getting their ass in gear. They're not taking your advice. Either they're ignoring it or there's just a list of complaints about why they can't do it. And as you were talking to me, you were noticing that when you try to bang your head against a wall and get people to follow advice that's in their best interest, all it ends up doing is creating stress for you. It doesn't change the situation. It doesn't make it more likely for them to follow along, uh, to follow the guidance. So there's really no benefit. It's just a lot of frustration on your end. It increases your cortisol levels. It's not good for your health. And you've taken more of a fatalistic approach, a more of a dispassionate approach. I, I kind of think of a Buddhist perspective. And in fact, I was talking to a pretty Tony about this today, that things aren't really good or bad. They just are. It is what it is. And at times, we need perhaps more of a fire within us, and we need to be able to pick our battles and say, yes, there are certain things that we aren't going to tolerate or certain things that we need to change, and we'll direct our energy towards that. But a lot of times, either the battles aren't worth fighting or the things that we want to have control over, we just don't. We can't change the behavior of other people. We can't change the political landscape. We can't change a lot of the trends that are going on in the world. And the more we worry about it, the more energy we direct to it, we end up creating anxiety. Uh, We end up destroying our peace of mind. Our health suffers. And if we take more of this fatalistic attitude, and the word holistic is also important because we're looking at life and we're looking at this world as a whole. Uh, And again, it's that sense of a lot of these things, they just are what they are. A lot of the trends that are in place, they've built up over years, perhaps decades. There's not that much we can do about it. So we're going to be very intelligent about picking our spots and picking our battles. But the rest of the world, we're just going to accept. Uh, We're not going to try and force it in a direction or contort it in a way that matches our preferences. And if we can do that, that does two things. Number one, it saves us energy. It reduces our stress level. We just feel more at ease. And two, If we've got that view, I consider that view a dispassionate view. Uh, We're looking at the world holistically. We're accepting the things that we can't change. But if we have sufficient awareness, we can also pick our spots. So we can be very smart and very targeted about trends that we want to get behind or projects that are important to us. And we can figure out how to advance those without wasting a lot of time and wasting a lot of energy. So that's the topic for today, holistic fatalism. Z, you brought this up. As I mentioned, you shared some of your own experience with this. Talk to us a little more about holistic fatalism and how it's helped you and manage your stress. Vin, it's helped me in a number of ways by observing myself and the things that cause me undue stress. And when I say undue stress, the burden of stress is part of life on earth. The only time you will be completely stress-free is when you're dead. And while you're alive, you'll encounter different types of stress. There's even healthy stress, the stress of working out your body. Uh, Caitlin um, came back from this horrific road trip. She's about 20 pounds heavier, having alcohol binge week. Um, And things with all all the kids were gone on a road trip. And these kinds of stresses that you introduce to your life, 
uh, have a low benefit uh, imprint on you. And then the stress of getting healthy and well again is going to be very beneficial, hopefully in many ways, physically, emotionally, everything. She's going to think about the hangover, drinking a lot of, uh, some they said they were having crazy eight. I don't know what that is, but they were drinking crazy eights while they were gone and, and, and staying into that mode. And it beat them up really bad. It's a lot of undue stress. Do stress are the things you do to till the soil of your life. You get up every day, you exercise, you read a book, you, um, you, you do your job, whatever your job is, you set boundaries. Those all have a positive stress to them. When I talk about undue stress, things that you invite into your life that take more from you than they give back. So when you deal with human interaction, if you believe yourself to be a pragmatic thinker in a world that is not pragmatic, and you try to get the world to be more like you, you are stressing yourself out. When you deal with a world that doesn't really often care about evidence and data, and you care about that a lot, you're not going to change the world to conform to you. But you can take that information and turn that negative stress into a positive stress and say, hey, I've learned things and I'm going to implement them in my life and be that thing that I value. In doing that, you allow the world to witness an example, an evidence-based example of a good life practice. So when I talk about fatalism, it is another form of acceptance, as you said, dispassion. It is another way of addressing fate itself. So the Vedas teach us, as my uh, one of my great friends and student, uh, Anthony, came by. Anthony Bartlett came by today and worked out with us. And we just had a wonderful conversation. I've watched him grow over the last nearly 20 years or whatever. And it was just like having one of your kids come back home to visit. And we were talking about just life and the things that come and go. And he mentioned, uh, he, he kind of says the same things I say. And he talked about fate. And I say that Vedas tell us that fate is a wayward mistress that visits you at the least opportune time. So now there's inside that cone, inside that narrative of what fate is, there are areas of even fate you can take responsibility for. Now, again, I want everybody to think about that. And, and, and I would love for us to put that on our wall somewhere. Holistic fatalism. So if fate is a wayward mistress, let's think about it, a mistress, a hidden lover, right? Your side piece, right? Eventually, the hiding, the deception, the stealing of time away, the secreting of yourself in order to explore these intimate moments will cost you a lot. They cost a lot. And if you get exposed, it costs you even more. So if you understand that that's what fate is anyway, what responsibility can we take with fate, even though it has a randomness about it? But even there, there's a piece of that that we can affect. I always tell people in life, you can affect almost anything with your general health and well-being, less the intervention of fate, less the intervention of this mistress. For she is always hovering around. How much time you spend with her will determine the impact and the frequency of fate affecting your life in an adverse way. Because remember, she's not good or bad. She's your mistress or whatever Caitlin calls her side piece boyfriend. So what we want to do is look at our lives in a way that we are have a high situational awareness of where we place ourselves. Do you surround yourself with like-minded people that share 
your ideas, your ideologies, challenge you intellectually, support you in various ways in your journey to be a better human being in the moment of life. So the mistresses you will encounter in the way, the fate you encounter in the way, often are fates that will advance you. Somebody that offers you a little more knowledge, a new opportunity. Someone who may boost you up in times of despair. We have that happen here all the time. We're surrounded by angels that have always visited us at just the right moment. So fate. And you go, wow, I'm lucky. You're neither lucky or unlucky. It is the best, it is the relationship you have with the mistress of fate. So you accept in holistic fatalism that I have done everything I could do. Transparent, open-hearted, unburdened by my decisions. And may that visitation of fate be a truly uplifting and blessed experience. Now, on the other end of the scale, if you find yourself mired in egocentrism, you want the world to conform to your ideas of the world. You want things that are changing to go unchanged. You yearn for yesteryear. You want to make the future the past. So you miss the present. Then that is a truly a, 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 a schizophrenic mistress. It's like the mistress in that movie where you end up with her boiling your cat or something. It was, a, it was that mistress that you know, breaks in your house and does weird stuff. What was it? Uh, the old movie of the guy had a mistress and you remember that movie, Vin? There was a guy, he had a mistress, and she was real crazy. Uh, Sharon Stone or something like that. Oh, the uh, base, no. Uh, yeah. It's off the top. Caitlin thought it was her ex-roommate. But oh, my God. you have these kinds of mistresses. And you know when you meet them, because they have the crazy eyes. Um, they're hyper-tentative. You're the singular focus in their life. What do I mean by that? What that, that example? When you deal with people that are in situations that are too quickly shaped just to your liking, you need to be aware of that because you're not being challenged anymore. I don't say you need to have resistance. I need You need something to encourage your growth. Help me be better. Don't have yes men and yes women all around you. And so when you accept that not everybody will go along with what's happening in your life, you, have to, you, can, you can back off a little bit. You don't have to push as hard. Thus, it's more holistic. You know it's not holistic when you find yourself frustrated, arguing, as you said, beating your head against the wall, wondering why doesn't anybody get it? Why is no one listening to me? Why isn't the world changing for me? You actually realize you're the one that's in the wrong. As the world marches forward, even in this crisis of times we're living in, there will be disasters, hardships, but none of this do you as an individual have the power to change. What you do have the power to change is you and how you navigate this time. We were talking earlier today, Anthony and I, about the world in crises. And he said something beautiful about uh, the, we're hurtling through the universe. Our known speed, our known speed around the sun is 60,000 miles an hour. Our known speed around the sun is in excess of 60,000 miles an hour. When you think about the phenomena of life on Earth, how much time do you want to spend upset, angry, frustrated, talking to the wall, as I say, when you try to talk to people and convince them of things, even if the thing is a good thing? I deal with health every day. And there are prescriptions and remedies for most diseases. Earlier in my career, I would, I would just be 
exhausted and frustrated with the behaviors of people. And I would go out of my way in, in many a late night, faring prescriptions to people, uh, calling them up, see if they're adhering to their protocols. And, and I would just find myself so exhausted, I would go home and just collapse. And at some time, I, I remember feeling so exhausted, I didn't know why. Why am I so tired? Maybe I have a B12 deficiency. I'm in shape. I have great energy, but I'm just mentally exhausted. I just want to sleep the whole weekend. I used to tell friends, if I could just sleep all weekend. Then I said, you know, I'm, I'm, what is it that's so exhausting? I've had very difficult manual labor type jobs. I've had very physically demanding uh, military adventures. But it was a different kind of tired. It was a soul-stealing tired. I feel like I just want to sleep forever. I hope I just never wake up. I'm so sleepy. I wish the day was six. The night was sixteen hours. I just need a little more rest. And then I realized it was the people around me who were just draining me. Not the people around me. Let me correct that. It was the way I interacted with the people around me that was draining the life out of me because I was trying to push data on them, push information on them. I was trying to save their life as they were trying to drown. I was trying to lift them up while they wanted to stretch out. I was trying to get them to run when they wanted to sit. Who's at fault? Whose problem is it? It's my problem. Because even though they weren't fine, they were fine. Holistic fatalism. Aziz, we're talking, it brings up this idea in my mind about how we're interacting with other people and with the world. And one of the questions that might be helpful for people to ask is, what am I trying to accomplish? So if I'm getting into an argument or I'm upset about the way that certain people are conducting themselves, what am I really hoping to achieve? And I could use your perspective on this because I see this behavior sometimes. It's always baffled me. For example, I used to work with someone years ago who would just antagonize other people in the office. So this person always threw up obstacles undermined anything that we were trying to get done, would raise petty objections, was just very difficult to work with. And I literally used to have therapy sessions in my office where other people I worked with, colleagues would come by and they'd say, my God, I just can't work with this dude. He's terrible. Who does he think he is? He said this to me. Can you believe it? And it would go on and on and on. And I always wondered, why do you care? What difference does it make? I mean, just assume the guy's insane. Assume he is literally insane, and then don't worry about it. If you were walking down the street and someone was running around through traffic wearing pants on their head and had tar and feather on their legs and was screaming all kinds of crazy things, you wouldn't try and decipher it. You would just accept it and you would move on. You would try and get the hell out of there and minimize your interaction. But for whatever reason, people felt like they had to understand, they had to argue, they had to justify. I see this sometimes with family. Uh, and some people in my family at times expect that other people should behave a certain way. And we get into discussions about, oh, my God, can you believe that they did this? And why are they doing that? And don't they realize that this is just going to hurt them? Or don't they realize that uh, this is a terrible way to live and it's not any fun and you're going to burn yourself out and wear yourself down, whatever the case may be. It's opining on the details of someone else's life, which I find very strange because it doesn't affect us at all. It, it would be one thing if what they did came back and had some direct impact on our life. But it's more looking at something that has absolutely nothing to do with us and getting all worked up because you can't understand someone else's choices or you think they're making bad decisions or they're living in a way that is very different from how you're living. 
So this is something that I've I've wondered about. It's puzzled me a bit. I've got my own ideas about it. it I don't know how much is validation where we're looking for other people to behave in a certain way because it validates our own views and our own lifestyle choices, or maybe it's some sense of fairness and it's that five-year-old kid in us that says, yeah, they better follow the rules because I'm following the rules or I'm playing fair and they better play fair. Uh, and we're getting hung up on uncertain principles that we have in mind about how the world should work, uh, but reality is very different. Maybe this is just a legacy from what we were taught when we were younger, and we've carried that into adulthood. But take those two examples. There are others as well I'm sure I could come up with. What's your perspective, Z? What is it about us that causes us to bang our heads against the wall, to get all upset about other people's lifestyle choices, their behaviors, to engage in discussions that we know are a waste of time, especially in this day and age. A lot of discussions, there's no point. When I think about debate, I think about you have a discussion, you exchange points of view, you learn something new, and you you work your way towards some truth or some better understanding. Today, there's very little appetite for that. Debates are, okay, can I shout the other person down? Can I humiliate them? I don't really see the point of engaging in that. It's not a productive activity in my mind. So what is it about us that either seeks out drama or looks for validation or gets us into these situations to begin with? Well, Vin, I'll go back to some of the classical writings and philosophies that have the universal notion that it is the ego, untethered, that makes us look outside of ourselves and not see the infinite universe, but to see only our place in that. We have the small view of the world, the small view of the universe. That when we realize that this ego is is whispering in our ear, striving for its own grand place in the universe, when it has very little significance, it's literally a speck of dust on an elephant's ass or less. But we want it to be everything. We want our issue to be everything. And those of us who are thinking or more opt out, we recognize that part of the, the ego phenomena. And we catch it like, it like a wild animal that can never be unleashed. That's what the ego is. It's a wild beast that should never be unleashed. It should never be able to walk freely never able to be on its own because it will wreak havoc everywhere it goes. And you're right. We live in a moment where we can witness that it is not the most intelligent. It is not the sincere. It is not the kind. It is not the benevolent that is in the limelight. It is the loud mouth. And then if you listen to what the loud mouth is saying, it is so ridiculous that if you listen to it yourself and debate it, you become ridiculous. So shutting that out, suppressing, controlling, regulating your own ego takes the veil away from the madness. But when everyone is a slave to the ego, when everyone is running about chasing the unleashed beast, then we have this state that we're in now, this chaotic state where I'm yelling and screaming at somebody because I want them to be what I want them to be. And what I do to repress the ego and restrain it is to say, how does it affect me? How does it affect the things in my life I'm trying to work with, which is all I can handle? In this interesting time we live in, as you and I both, we have small children that go to either uh, schools with strangers. And they all have different things that they bring to that school. And what is the ideal situation? Then there's another smaller group of people that tend to dictate the trends of that schooling. And then if you get caught up in these get-togethers and meetings, you will never be, be arguing, fighting. There may be knife fight or gunplay over the curriculum at these schools. I would say accept it because what is the school really doing for you and your child? Right now it's kind of a babysitter. 
inevitably, you have to educate your own children. You had the children. You didn't uh, end the pregnancy. You agreed to endure that. Now it's your responsibility to educate them in a manner and a way which you believe to be correct. It is not up to anyone else. But if you listen to the egos run amok, you're beating the door at school board meetings. You're attacking teachers. I saw somewhere where some people went to school and they attacked the teacher and had zip ties and billy clubs and garbage bags to put over the teacher's heads to whatever. This is how things have gotten crazy. For those of us who have opted out, we restrain the ego. We know its power. And we control the ego. In controlling the ego, also known as the self, we have a better way of observing our role in this universe. I talk to people every day and I often am disappointed and frustrated with the outcomes of those discussions, not in a, in a way that I'm angry or frowning, but just in a way it makes me sad. Little conversations. A woman came to the door the day that very uh, struggling with a lot of health issues. And she stops by every few months and says, I'm going to come in and get healthy. And every few months, she's in worse health. And I remember I used to spend a lot of time with her out of my day, 20, 30 minutes, talking to her about the latest breakthroughs in health and what we could do for her or what she could do for herself to be well. But over the years, and she stops by on a regular basis over all the, the nearly decade I've been here, and I've watched her health decline. And today, I practice holistic fatalism. And she came in and told me her story, and I said, that's great. Come by any time. Took uh, that long out of my day. Didn't take 30, 40 minutes. So when I spend 30, 40 minutes, I'm exhausted because time is energy. Time is money. Time is life. I didn't expend my time, my energy, my, my vital life resources in a wasteful way. Surround yourself with that energy and that material interactions that conserve your life force. Often you will find that with friends, with families, with associated, with associates, with those you work with, that you're wasting your time trying to get them to change or convince. Can you be okay with where they're at? Like I did today, manage your energy, your time. And if you practice that, you will find that you have more vital essence preserved, more vital energy available to be the example of the world that you wish the world to be. When I had uh, the class this morning and, and, and our, our, our student Anthony was here teaching the class, I just sat there and felt like a happy grandfather. I looked at the faces of all the people who were in class and those who were online. I didn't participate much other than as an observer a witness. And I witnessed something very beautiful. In my world, I have people from every place on the planet Earth that have claimed every religion across an age demographic from people in their 80s to people in their teens. They have every known ideology on Earth from extreme right-wing to people who want to save the rare guppy in a pond somewhere in Idaho, uh, to people who don't give a damn one way or another. All political persuasions, all views, and they have a common shared idea that doing this work will bring a greater quality to their life. Thus, the world that people imagine, I actually live in.
and in, in practicing holistic fatalism, I can accept everybody where we meet. And I can accept that we won't meet everywhere. I appreciate the places we don't meet. I can go sit in a restaurant with a carnivore and I'm a vegetarian and not really have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with that. I can go to the gun club with my survivalist buddies and I can appreciate where the people want to free willy are coming from. I know the boundaries of our interactions. And knowing those boundaries, I can maximize the times that we are interacting within a shared space. And thus, my world becomes a very beautiful place that has less stress, is much more harmonious, and it it advances my condition. So practicing holistic fatalism allows you to be less burdened by titles, labels, judgments, worldviews. Because, you know, none of it's that, that real. As Anthony and I discussed today, we're hurtling through the galaxy on a fragile ball, just a thin line between life and the infinite nothing. Everybody that dies heads off to eternity pretty much forgotten in a few weeks, few years after they're gone. Whatever you did, whatever you saved, whatever you... It doesn't matter. What matters is right now. So do you want to spend a lot of time stressed out, angry with enemies, with people you can't speak to, uh, people that you've had fights with? Uh, I mean, listen to any of the modern media. Anger, rage, sales. Against what? against people's ideas or views? We don't even know what we're mad at. Can another person hold a different view of the world than you and still live on this earth with you? Yes or no? You practice holistic fatalism, you're good to go. So you know when you go to Afghanistan and visit the folks over there, there's a certain way you behave. You go to San Francisco, certain way you behave. I think I'd rather be in Afghanistan than San Francisco, but that's me. Everybody has their own choice vacation spots. But we can accept it all by allowing people to be who they are. Accepting them where they're at. You follow me? This principle certainly has a lot of power. And if I look at how people normally interact... It's the opposite of holistic fatalism. Uh, So it's, let me see what I can control. Let me see what drama I can get involved in. Let me see how I can convince other people that I'm right. We've moved too far in that direction. And that's where I think holistic fatalism becomes really important. It gives us some perspective. One, it gives us perspective so we can step back and just recognize the world doesn't exist for us. We're not the architect We're not the Lord and Master. We're one of billions. And given that, how much impact can we really have? Again, we can be smart about where we have that impact. A lot of things we just have to accept. It's not designed around our particular preferences. And two, as a strategy for dealing with people, it's great. So as you said, instead of a 30- or 40-minute conversation, you have a few-minute discussion, and you can go on with your life. (laughs) You save time. You come out of that Z, you're not pulling out, well, you don't have uh, hair, but if you did have hair, uh, you wouldn't be pulling out your hair. Uh, You you feel good. You feel light. You can go about your day. I've experienced the same thing. I've, in the past, gotten into arguments with certain people, and I got to a point where I thought, this just isn't worth it. It's the same pattern over and over. We're arguing about the same stuff. There's never any resolution. Why am I falling into this trap? Uh, why am I taking the bait? Uh, so I, I keep my mouth shut around certain people. And guess what? The interactions are a lot better, a lot more more harmonious. The way you put it, I like. We can meet each other where we're at. There's certain boundaries, so there's certain places that we don't go. And it just makes it much easier to interact. It makes it easier to connect because you don't have friction or tension. 
So people are more willing to open up. You feel closer to the people around you. So for all of those reasons, this strategy of holistic fatalism makes a lot of sense to me as a prescription for or an antidote for the way that we typically approach life, particularly the way that we interact with other people. I will observe, Z, that there might be the danger of going too far in the other direction. And I mentioned this a bit in the comments up front, because we talk a lot about walking the middle path. We never want to be too far on one side or the other. So given that we're in this world of extreme control, it makes sense to dial that back, practice holistic fatalism, and end up somewhere in the middle. But we also don't want to be too fatalistic. We don't want to look at the world and just say, yeah, it is what it is. I can't do anything. I have no agency. I have no power. I have to accept everything. People are treating me like crap. I'm not going to do anything about it. My life is going nowhere. So be it. This is what it is. I can't influence anything, so why take any risk? That's the other extreme, which certainly is not what we're talking about. But if we think about the two ends of the spectrum, and this is where discernment comes in, uh, which is another topic uh, that comes up quite a bit on this podcast, we have to take a look at the world and we have to discern, number one, what battles are worth fighting, and number two, what our strategy is for fighting those battles. So if something is important to us, how can we go about it, get a desired result in a quick way uh, without wasting too much time or energy, uh, hopefully with a pretty high likelihood of success. And I'm thinking of a quote that I came across. So I've been spending more time on social media uh, because of the various projects that we're involved in. I think I'm subscribed to some Black Lives Matter hashtag. And there was some quote, which I thought was kind of interesting. It said, I'm tired of accepting what I can't change. I'm going to change what I can't accept. And so the opposite of that standard prescription, uh, there's that quote about God, give me the, uh, the strength to accept what I can't change, uh, the power to change what I can, the wisdom to know the difference. People kind of forget about the second part of that quote. A lot of times they just focus on acceptance and this quote was turning it on its head and, and saying, let's take more of an activist stance. So let's take a look at the world and see what's really intolerable. And those are the things that we're not going to put up with. We have to change the world. We have to make some progress. So we do need a certain amount of fire if we just want to evolve the world, if we want to live a meaningful life. And as I'm thinking about this, maybe you can give us some thoughts and help us put our discernment muscles to use how do we draw that line? What is your advice when, or how would you advise our opt-out community, whether we're, we're dealing with individuals or whether we're starting a new venture or whether we find something that's just totally intolerable? How do we decide whether that's something we just accept or we say, no, you know what? This is something that, yeah, maybe it's hard to change, but damn, it's important to me and, and I'm going to do what I need to do to get to a different place. Then this gets into the individual's moral register. Again, I said holistic. Holistic, right? So you look at situations. What can you change? What can you not? So it isn't apathetic. It isn't whatever, just lie down. Because we, we are part of the cosmic constant. Right? And in being part of that cosmic constant, you work on yourself and there's a momentum that's associated with you. There's an energy body and field associated with your own being. And when you work on yourself and you develop your personal ethos, your personal moral register, there are some basic things that through understanding you can implement into your own life. When you talk about activism, to activate something, before you do that, there has to be a consensus of your community that there is a, the inaction is allowing something to go on. Let's say you're in a community and the, the, uh, the, the river is overflowing and everybody's just sitting there and they just slowly keep moving back from the river as the river consumes the town. And you say, you know, there's a way we can do this to stop the river from consuming our town. So you talk to like-minded people 
who see what you see and you guys come up with ideas and maybe you create a levy. You create some redirect of the water flow to save your town. That's good activism. It requires what? A general consensus that there is and through inaction there will be a greater problem or things will get worse. Same way we do with health. Your inaction, your lack of activism as it does to your health, you will become uh, more diseased. It will shorten your life. The activism is gathering the knowledge, actualizing it, acting on it, being an advocate of health habits, and so forth. So, as we move through life, you think about little things. I talked the other day in class about being sincere. So, if that's part of who you are, is being sincere, imagine how limited your life would be in a world that's not really sincere. What if you really shared openly what you think with people? What you are experiencing, what you feel? You would lose half your associates right away. But in return, being sincere, the quality of that interaction would grow, right? It would be much greater. Let's think about the idea of morality, which is, is, is something that is very fluid. It means different things to different people, different regions, different collective groups. The classical text talks about sin, not in the Judeo-Christian Judeo sense of sin, this is good, that is bad. But in the Tao and the Vedas, they're really clear when people are building their kind of moral, their moral law, their personal law. They say that sin is doing something without virtue. Whatever you do, if you do it without virtue. And this is kind of tricky when we work on ourselves, especially if it's our opt-outs. So we're talking about two things that we're going to work on. Sincerity and not sinning. Again, throw out whatever you learned at the church or whatever, synagogue, or mosque. We're talking about something a little different. The explanation is a little different. Sincere is you're immersed, invested in your actions. So much so that you're willing to take full responsibility for whatever it is. To be free of sin means you own it. I own it. I'm willing to fall on my sword. You, you have a friend that's uh, uh, into, into the, uh, let's say they're into some sort of uh, illegal business. They sell weed or whatever. And that friend says, you know what? I sell weed. So they're actually, on a cosmic level, they're not committing any sin. But now if they do it and say, no, I am a uh, merchant of registered pharmaceuticals, or you're lying, you're deceptive. Or when it comes out, they run around and say, I didn't do that. That's not what I meant. So you want to be free of sin and sincerity. Whatever you do, own it. If you're a bootlegger, if you're a used car salesman, own it. Own it. Right? So as we work on that, then we can be in, in that position of power within the self that I own myself. So I know the limits that I can interact with you. So when I practice this, this way, this detachment, this this idea that I can accept you right where you're at, that's because I accept myself. So that won't change based on your interaction with me. I am not a sinner and I am sincere. So whatever interaction we have is complete. And I hope that by saying that, then it gives a clear explanation of you know, where, where we're coming from with this topic that being clear in your stance, in your foundation, start there first. 
The biggest change in the world starts inside of you. Drona asked me the other day, my six-year-old asked me the other day, he looked at a tree and he said, how do you grow a tree? How does a tree get so big? Where do you go to get them and they're just big like that? I say, Drona, they start with a seed no bigger than a sunflower seed. A seed no bigger, big enough to float on the air like your glider plane. And then that seed finds the earth and it sinks into the earth and it disappears for a long time. And in the quiet of the earth, it grows and grows and first reaches down, then comes up. And that one leaf that comes up reaches for the sun and it keeps reaching. And in the reaching for the sun, it creates the trunk of the tree. And over the years, it grows and it witnesses people come and go. So that big tree on the other side of our house that's 20 feet high has saw many lives. There's a picture of that little tree, that big tree, not as big with your mom, your age, standing there. And it's been growing ever since it was growing before her. So all things start with a small thing. So start with yourself. Work on being a sin-free and a sinner. Again, I'm not saying be a moral police. Kaylin said, look, I got drunk. I partied hard. I drank more. She owned herself. There's something very powerful about that because she can now redeem herself. Right, Kaylin? She Give said, you know, week. yeah, that's what she said. I did it. But if she lied about it, then there's no redemption. Even within the self, right? Yeah. If you denied you were doing it, you'd be sneaking home right now, drinking Ripple and Crazy 8, right? Sipping on it, right? One of those kind of drunks, right? But no. she, she owned it and she said, look, I'm Native American. I can't do the fire water. Can't do the fire water. But I did the fire water, knowing I can't do the fire water. And now I got the fat rash. You I see? threw some fried bread on top of that. Too. Oh, yeah, that's horrible. horrible. Just, she did everything. But you know what? She owns it. People, you see that? Let's every one of us who are opting out own ourselves. So when we are confronted with these different energies around, we can just accept it. Holistic fatalism. Because all you can do is be you and do you. But do you right. As we work here every day, then I never ask people to do anything I can't do. Is that right, Kay? Never ask. I say do a thousand push-ups, I'm going to do it first. Is that right? Right. But you can do a thousand push-ups. Yeah, but I don't ask you to do it if I can't do it. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, but what? So I'm not a sinner. Yeah. And I'm sincere. And I'll tell you how I got there. Remember when you beat those boys doing push-ups? Mm -hmm. I gave you the secret to push-ups, Remember? All the boys were mad. Did you see how mad they got? All the fellas got pissed off because Caitlin could do more push-ups than them. Then they started explaining stuff. All ego. What was it? Just crazy excuses. I mean, stuff I had never heard of. Caitlin did it right. She she just um, she just said, oh, yeah, holistic fatalism. Just walked away. They were just in there babbling because they had to deal with their own ego. But what they didn't want to do was learn. They wanted to stay right away. So we see that as an example. Not bad people, but deluded. So for us, as we practice holistic fatalism, we also practice the idea of us being more sincere, meaning that you're a bit more measured in your interactions with people so you don't fall off your path. You also think about what the Vedas teach us about sin. Whatever you do, own it. Don't go back on you. If you did something crazy, say, hey, I did something crazy. Or know that it'll limit you. I, I, I always think about these politicians that nowadays they can bring up an old text, an old video of them saying, you know, hey, let's murder all the kids or something. Whatever they say, then they, they want to run for office and then people don't like them. Because, yeah, you know, back in 99, you were on a TV show, you know, praising uh, the satanic cult of somebody. 
How do you take that? You, can't, you know what? Just own it. Don't apologize. Just own it. Yeah. And for people who agree with me, vote for me. You might have three votes, but at least you owned it. And then there's less stress. So in closing, the, the reason that I thought this was a good topic is based on my own life experience and where I experienced extreme stress and frustration from screaming at a wall and beating my head against the wall, hoping the wall wouldn't be a wall. Give people the opportunity to show you who they are. And you, in turn, lead, guide, set an example for the world. Take all that energy you're wasting, turn it inward. If you think people in your family should be healthier, be the healthiest person you can be. If you think the world should be a kinder place, be the kindest pe person you could be. If you wish for abundance in the world, be abundant. You follow me, Vin? Z, I'll add a little bit to what you're saying, uh, because this word fatalism at times can have negative connotations. It's that passive connotation we just talked about. That's really different from what we're describing. When I hear you, it's a dispassionate view. It's the same philosophy that we talk about that underscores our podcast, where we want to be able to step back, look at the world the way that it is, see things clearly, and also be clear on ourselves. And if we can do those two things, see externally clearly and see ourselves clearly, then we know where to focus our efforts. We know what's important to us. We know what we care about. We know where we're likely to succeed, where we can have an impact. And we'll take whatever finite amount of time and energy we have, which, as we've said, is just a flash in this infinite expanse that we happen to be floating around in. And we can use that efficiently. Uh, we can do some good. Uh, we can feel good about ourselves. So that's really what holistic fatalism is. Uh, let's take a look. Let's own ourselves. Let's look at the world clearly. And let's make more intelligent choices. Z, any final thoughts? That's it, Vin. Let's just work on ourselves and then share that and surround yourself with like-minded people that encourage you, support you, and help you, help you advance your own evolution. Yeah, so let's do that. And one other announcement that we want to make, we do have our Dharma Media site up and running, which we're very excited about. Go check it out. It's Dharma Media, all one word. Dharma is D-H-A-R-M-A. So dharmamedia.com, subscribe, check out the classes, let us know what you think. Peace. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.